We're joined by Grounds Manager, John Taylor. John, thank you for your time here. Um, You're welcome. You're getting towards the end of your career here, and I think um, it's well documented that a, a little something happened that uh, allowed you to bring your retirement up a little bit in terms of a, a nice lottery win. Yes. But where I'd like to start with you is, um, how did you actually get into the turf care industry? Uh, it was by accident. Um, I was at uh, Crypt Grammar School in Gloucester, and uh, I just completed O-levels, um, awaiting results, so I went off to um, work on a sports ground, the Gloucestershire County Ground in Gloucester. And um, I spent six weeks there and went back to school uh, to, to do my, what was known as OA-levels. And uh, at the time I was thinking, I quite, I quite enjoyed that. I was driving tractors, cutting cricket pitches, <laughs> and doing all the things that groundsmen do. Uh, but I was under the tutelage of a chap called Charlie Newman, who'd been at Lord's Cricket Ground. Right. And Charlie had always sort of uh, been very positive about grounds and groundsmanship. And uh, the National Association of Groundsmen, or the Institute of Groundsmen as it later became, uh, obviously had examinations and things that I could go to college, and I went to Hartbury College. Uh, so I, I gave up on my OA levels. I went back as an apprentice at the county ground the following year and then went to Hartbury College for two years to get some qualifications. And how long was it in between that and your, your role here at Eton? Uh, well, I came here in 1994. Um, I started at, at the, the Gloucestershire ground, the Wagon Works as it was called, um, back in 1972. But of course they paid for my education and allowed me to go to Hartbury College for more than two years in fact. Um, but it was a bit of a risk. My headmaster told me I was going to go into a dead-end job and that I should have been an accountant or a salesman. <laughs> okay. so. so then was it Eton or was there anything else? No, no, no. Um, I left. Uh, I was there for 12 years. Um, I then went to, uh, uh, went to Chartman College right. and um, I was there from 1983 to 1989. Um, Whilst I was there, uh, we had the county cricket, the Chartman Festival, and we kept winning awards on an annual basis. And um, batsmen were breaking fingers on our very quick pitches, right. and uh, it, it gave me a bit of a reputation uh, of making quick pitches. And um, uh, following that, I moved again to Glamorgan, and I took up a post of uh, grounds maintenance manager, and that was managing... 300 plus schools and colleges and university grounds. Wow. But it was at a time when we needed to uh, bring in the, what was compulsory competitive tendering. Right. So I drew up specifications for each sports grounds, each school. At the same time, I did a bit of work for Glamorgan County Cricket Club at Abergavenny and uh, down at Cowbridge. So I quite enjoyed still keeping my hand in, but it was more on the um, management of uh, running competitive tendered sites. So it was, a, it was a quite an interesting time. A bit disillusioning because they were selling off their land. Uh, sports fields were becoming uh, valuable as sale sure. items. So it was a little bit disillusioning. And I, after five years of doing that and completing the full cycle of uh, the competitive tendering process, I then decided that, uh, to remember my time at uh, Chartland College and, and look for another public school. So away from the... the uh Council sector, the, the public service sector, shall we call it, into public education mm. again with Eton, and you joined here um, in a senior role. 
Uh, yes, I came here in 1994. The interview process started in 1993, um, and I was appointed in 94 um, as playing fields manager. Um, this was a new title, uh, bearing in mind that since 1887, there's only been three previous Ed Grensman. Right, okay. uh, so we had Mr. White, and then Bill Bowles followed him. Both yeah. of those did 50 years each. Uh, and in between was a chappie called Peter Miles who did 1984 to 1994. And then I came along then. And uh, yeah, it was Plainfields manager, or head groundsman as I've always really been called. Sure. Um, and uh, that's where, when I started at Eater. So you only have to look around the place to see the attraction of, of what a, a beautiful place it is to work. Mm. What else attracted you to that role? Interestingly, it probably goes back to my days with Charlie Newman. Right. Uh, Charlie, uh, back at the old Gloucester ground, um, he used to talk about this Mr. White, who was a groundsman at Lords, who knew Bill Bowles at Eton. Right. Okay. And it was in the early, you know, when, when the NAG was formed. And Eton had always been in the back of my head. It was revered in the world of education, in sporting prowess, if you like. And it was one of those jobs that you just don't think you'll ever, ever get. And uh, especially, you know, as a working groundsman, a hands-on groundsman, I, I've always been interested in all parts of, I can strip down a tractor, <laughs> you know, but now I do a lot of computer work, which sure. I can't strip down. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, I was attracted to Eton because of its history, 1440. It just celebrated in 1990, it's 550 years. Um, the history oozes out of this place. Um, you only have to stand in any field and you know that Princes and prime ministers have all been on there, and it's uh, the history of it. We talk about you know, the elite pupils and, and people that you're working with in terms of your customers, for mm. want of a better description. Um, you've also got a hell of a set of footsteps to follow in in terms of those other groundsmen that you mentioned who've, who've had the privilege of, of running the place here. Yeah. Bill Bowles is a, a name that jumps out. I mean, I think he's well known for being at the, uh, the start of the, what is now the IOG. Yes. Does that give you, you know, something to live up to? Does that give you footsteps that you feel you have to follow in? Um, in one way, yes, but in another way, no, because I wanted to make my own mark here. I, I met Bill. I was very lucky to meet him uh, in the mid-80s, just after he retired from Eton. Uh, he was giving a talk in Newport in South Wales, and uh, an absolute gentleman. And, you know, I, I can... I know a lot of the stories about him when he was here and how he, you know, would strut around the place. And he was one of the only groundsmen that the teachers used to say sir to, really. <laughs> and uh, they were quite scared. He was a big man in more, many ways. And uh, he, um, he had a, a presence that uh, everybody knew. And in, certainly my head greenkeeper, uh, who's Phil, uh, Phil James, he, um, he worked under Bill. So oh, wow. there's an old link there and Phil's still here. He's the same age as me, so not for much longer, I guess. But, uh, yeah, he, there is a link to the past. And uh, we know uh, many, many stories of Bill. But, of course, his, his big thing was our 80th year last year, yeah. celebrating the, uh, the start of the IOG, if you like. Which you had to belong here to, yes. to celebrate. Yeah, uh, everybody came along from the IOG. It was a, a fantastic day out. We had a, a big cake-cutting ceremony and okay. lunch and... Uh, Finished off with a committee meeting and uh, everybody shook hands and went away. Thankfully, I wasn't at the committee meeting. Well, okay, you could go and do something yeah. else. So, what kind of legacy did Bill leave for you apart from you know that that history, that heritage? Um, Bill's left a legacy that's worldwide now. If it hadn't been for those gentlemen meeting in that pub 
to set off and put their five pence or one shilling at the time into uh, forming this uh, National Association of Groundsmen. I think, um, you know, we would have been poorer and worse off because of it. And that legacy comes right through to Soltex and everything that happens now. Um, I'm sure something would have happened eventually in groundsmanship, but certainly he was there at the start. And uh, um, I still feel it was three or four groundsmen that met in a pub, got drunk, thought it was a great idea, <laughs> and threw their 5p or shillings down, and then thought the next morning, what have we done? Yeah. But they did it, so that's where it came from. You've always seemed to have had a, a reasonably high profile and been proactive within the IOG. I think you've, you've sat on um, panels at uh, Q&A sessions for them at shows, and uh, that's obviously something that you feel quite passionately about still, that you, know, you need to put something back. Yeah, oh, yes, without a doubt. Uh, I'm, I'm all for bringing youngsters through for training, and uh, the IOG gives all of that to, uh, to new and young groundsmen, and they've got initiatives now for the young groundsmen, which I think uh, are, are going to bring it forward even more. The technology with pitches these days is fantastic. If Bill was around now and saw the equipment we have, saw the, um, the, the, the Deso style pitches, he would be wondering what the heck it was all about. We have irrigation popping up on most of our pitches here. Every cricket square has irrigation computerised. I can switch it on with my phone. You know, <laughs> it's a different world now. And hopefully it'll move on and on and on and, and they'll become grounds directors who, who grab the salaries that should be there for these people that run these big establishments and I'm including you know premiership grounds and and places that, that you know where we play international sports um, so I hope it helps recognize those people and I, I won't name any of them because no. but I know them all who, who put that extra effort in and bring staff along with them uh, and I think that's important to keep the Bill Bowles legacy if you like rolling on Obviously with a place like Eton, the history is, is very important, but looking now towards the present and the future, currently uh, the job you now have, I think you were telling me earlier, you've got something like a thousand acres to look after, yeah. encompassing you know, rugby, football, hockey, mm. cricket, golf, even a boating lake you're looking after yeah, as well. A boating lake, yeah, so now, conservation area. That's got to give you a broad brush of skills and a broad brush of challenges as well to face. Yeah, the job has evolved. It's, it's gone in three sections in 22 years, really. Um, I concentrated, I came here on sports only. Um, eventually, I got involved with the forestry side. Uh, we have thousands of trees on site here. All of them now are recorded, aged, health uh, checked, and we monitor them closely, especially by public walkways. Um, and of course the rowing lake came along later and uh, there's uh, two sides to the rowing lake. You've got the conservation area and wetlands and a, 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 a nice enclosed area that people don't get to see very often. Then you have the manicured, groomed, landscape drive entrance down to the main boathouse uh, which looks fantastic and I've, I've got staff there that are very conscientious and do a great job down there. So it's, it's expanded. Uh, we've we had the Jubilee River built around us, which is a flood relief uh, right. scheme. And we lost a pitch, but funny enough, we gained three elsewhere. That oh, uh, we okay. recovered a f some farmland, and we've now got three football pitches there. So, uh, though we lost one, we gained. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fair trade, by the I think so, yeah. So, with all of that to look after, you must have some kind of budget and some kind of team that uh, you've got to manage. 
Yeah, the team uh, is around about 25 to 27. You know, people come and go. We're in between uh, staff sometimes. But um, yeah, it's separated into three sections really, which is the forestry and gardens, the playing fields, and the rowing lake. And the, the staff are spread, the, the biggest section of the forestry and gardens. Um, they've got about 13 at the moment. Uh, then you've got the golf course, of course, with two permanent staff, head greenkeeper and assistant greenkeeper. Playing fields, which are all other sports really, um, which is another 10 people. And then three at the rowing lake. Um, so they, they're all spread around this place and uh, uh, they come under the three sections which basically is the supervisors right. who, who I manage on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, I think it's well documented you have a, a passion for cricket. Love cricket. So are you still producing here those wickets that are you know, dangerously fast almost? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, dangerously fast. Um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have brought staff through with me. So there are people here that were here before me. And there's also youngsters that I appointed that are now men uh, who are, you know, married and had their own children. Yeah. And they, they've come through. So hopefully the initial impact, we had the uh, World Cup here under 15 in uh, 2000. Oh, wow. And okay. Alistair Cook played, Tim Bresnan played. Many of the present West Indians were in those teams. And they were out here. We had England under, eight, uh, under 19s and um, Pakistan, Australia all came here to play. Middlesex have played here. So we're, we're, we've been tested by some of the best. Um, and yes, cricket was, is my passion. I can't say it's worse because it still is. Um, and that's, I think, the acid test for groundsmen is golf courses, golf greens and cricket pitches. Okay. I'm not going to comment on that because I know too many others. Ah, <laughs> so, <laughs> pull me up, no. Um, impressive facilities. You've got a different set of problems to most people that are running the facilities. Not only have you got the, the wide variety of different surfaces and uh, areas that you've got to look after, you've also got a very um, different set of customers. Mm. Um, the pupils here are you know, amongst the good and the great. You've got you know, future prime ministers, leaders of industry, royalty. What kind of impact does that have on how you do your job? Um, I wouldn't say it has a lot of impact on us. Um, our security levels are much higher now than they ever were. Um, and that, I think, probably applies to many establishments. Sure. Um, staff have to be checked. Visitors are generally checked if we're in amongst the boys within the school. Um, so, um, yes, we've got a lot of CCTV. Yes, gates are monitored every car that gets in and around the place but we're very wide open here uh, this is we're actually in, in a small town and the town carries on its business yeah. around us um, but we have 11 major fields that are not used for sport at the moment that are out there about down by the thames um, and we m own a lot of land around this area so we have to manage and maintain we are tenanted out so we have tenant farmers running right. around for us which we manage we, we do. Um, we that fall under your remit at all? Yes, it does, yeah. yeah we manage <laughs> okay. all of that. I've got a man who um, works for me that does the tedding, hay baling, is it called? And, right. Okay. Yeah, he does all that. So uh, we, we, we give the hay away to the Horse Trust, which is a charity. Right, okay. So we don't make anything out of it. But uh, we're creating wild areas. You know, people like to see the, the areas are not tended, that are weed sprayed and fertilised. All those other areas are kept. Uh, as wild areas, as hay meadows, 
uh, which is our existing landscape strategy at right. the college. So with that impressive array of uh, pupils here, do you feel under any extra pressure to deliver facilities of a certain standard? Yeah, you have to. Uh, it really is important. You have associations attached to the college, like the Odetonians, who play you know, a good level of sport. They know, you, you get coaches here for rugby, cricket, football, hockey, who have probably played international or a high level of county uh, cricket, rugby, football. Um, same with the tennis, we've got 20 tennis courts here. Um, the coaches have all probably, uh, and I know some of them have played, you know, top class uh, sport. So they expect a level. You, you, you can't fool the pros. And therefore, you know, especially if it's a cricket pitch, um, if it ain't good, they'll know straight away. And, you, you know, boys may be fooled early on in their careers, but certainly the pros expect a high standard, and therefore you're always tested. Everything about this place is impressive, uh, including, you know, the clientele that you're catering to, the pupils here are future ambassadors, prime ministers, you've, you've had princes and future kings through the, through the doors here. Apart from the security issues around that, that must put expectations upon your shoulders of delivering, you know, a quality playing surface, whatever the sport or the area that you're looking at. Yeah, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, because every pupil, as far as we're concerned, is the same. They, we have to give them high standards of pitches across the board. So the first team cricket square, has got, we use the same materials, the same time limits on rolling, as we do on our 13th or 14th turf cricket square. So we spend as much time and spend as much time on the materials that go into each square. So an under 14, 13 will get the same standard of pitch so that when they come through the school and work their way through the ranks, they eventually end up on the, pretty much the same surface as they started on. And so, that's regardless of whether that's Prince Harry or... Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. If, 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 if one of the rules is in one of the teams, um, and they, they were here a while back now, but mm -hmm. yes, it, it made no difference to how that pitch was prepared because it had to be done properly and well and we wouldn't accept them to be of a poor standard anyway. We, we, we're, we have pride, uh, we have visiting teams, visiting parents, um, everybody's got an opinion <laughs> and you've got to make sure that that opinion is positive really. And that, that added profile the variety of the surfaces and the areas you've got to look after. We've talked about the number of staff you've got looking after that, 25, 27. Obviously it's an awful lot of kit and I imagine a fairly hefty budget. Yeah, it's a, it's a big budget. It's, um, you know, the staff, the labour uh, eats up probably half of uh, the budget. It's not, it's not far shy of a million pounds here. Um, we try and uh, keep our spending down. We go out to tender for everything that we buy, all materials, machines, um, everything is, is, is tested in the market and, uh, and I'm answerable for that. So I have to prove that if I want to buy a tractor, uh, I've got the best deal I can possibly get because we're playing with other people's money and uh, you know, it's important that I can actually stand there, look them in the eye and say, I did my best for you on that sort of expenditure. But yes, it's a, it's a big budget, but the playing fields of Eton are big. Um, the boys spend <clears throat> more than 30% of their time on them playing sport. They're out here every day of the week except Sundays, uh, and they're playing. They'll be playing right now. Certainly, it's <laughs> okay. so what happens 
so it's the outdoor classroom and it's got to be good. But you don't have a limitless, limitless pot. It's not kind of like John wants it, John gets it. It's, you've got to justify it and work with that budget. Yeah, I, I, have, I have to put together a five-year plan for machinery, for instance, and know what needs replacing ahead of time so that I can bid for the funds for the following year. So I look at my equipment, if there's a tractor that's 15 years old but it's starting to show its age or it could be 10 years old, uh, but whichever, whatever it is, I've got to put together a, a, an explanation as to why that one needs changing, what we'll do for it, the best possible part exchange deal I can get for it. So it, it's, it's a rolling programme. And that may adjust. I mean, something may go wrong that we need to deal with and it, it might get pushed on a year and something else takes its place. But overall, we, we like to know what we've got ahead of us in our expenditure. So planning in, in the future is important to you? It's, it's very important. All, all aspects of, the, uh, of running the grounds, including monitoring of their uh, risk assessments, and hand-arm vibration syndrome and COSH, all those things that have to be looked at almost on a weekly basis. You know, if somebody buys a material, a hand wash that needs to enter the COSH book, we have to update the COSH yeah. book. All these things come together. It's all part of the whole picture of making sure, A, we've got the right equipment, the staff are protected in their job, they have the right training, every machine we buy, we tie into the deal a training session uh, so that they're not just dropped on in the seat and said off you go. They need to know how the controls all work. So, yeah, it's, it's a big operation in a place like this. And you, you say you, you drive the best deal and you look at the, the best options. Is that on particular manufacturers or do you still compare one manufacturer to another? You, you're not wedded to anybody in particular? Oh no, you, if, if you go in our garages you'll see um, John Deere, Kubota, Massey Ferguson, Case, JCBs. Uh, it, it's across the board, uh, Izekis, they're all in there. Um, and many that I haven't mentioned like Lloyds and Lloyds Paladins and yeah. their seven gang units etc. We, we have quite a, a cross section of equipment here. I've got certain favourites, I won't deny that, um, but I don't always buy my favourite because the deal may be just as good with another machine. So, um, yeah, I've never, I know some like to stay with machinery that they like and trust, and I do like and trust all of those names I've tried. Um, but, you know, we, do, we all have our favourites, we all have our favourite top dressings, seeds. Sure. It's just part of the furniture with Grandsman, I think. And is there one purchase that you think has been, that's the best thing I ever bought? The best thing I ever bought um, would be a tractor-mounted scarifier. Right. I've got the pedestrian ones, and they do great jobs. Um, but going back to hand-on vibration syndrome, scarifiers are notoriously bad for vibration. And um, there, I bought a very, a, a, a very well-made, uh, can I mention the make? You can, yeah. Sizes, right, uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, scarifier which attaches to a very small tractor very small tractor indeed big bulbous tires and that has eliminated our exposure we still use the hand operated scarifiers in individual wicket preparation but cricket squares we can get over as I said we've got over a dozen turf squares here um, and many artificial pitches so we um, we spend a lot of time scarifying uh, particularly in this time of year and uh, in the autumn and um, therefore that was a great purchase in my eye that uh, we couldn't do without them. Brilliant.
John, you've got a mixture of natural and synthetic surfaces here, and I think you've just undergone a, a major install of some hockey pitches. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, it, it, it follows quite a long programme, actually. We've, we installed our first hockey pitch here, uh, artificial hockey pitch, uh, back in the mid-90s. And uh, it was a great success, but we lost the turf pitch, of course. But it was placed in an area where the turf pitch wasn't that productive. Right. Uh, it was in a fairly wet area. Um, following the success of that, we built one alongside it. Uh, they've now been recovered this year. Um, after the w one thing we've had is no floodlights, so we don't get use after dark, right. and therefore their use is quite limited. Um, uh, uh, as opposed to when I was at Cheltenham College, we had floodlights that was used yeah. 14, 15 hours a day. So um, quite a sort of popular surface. Um, th that said, we now work in these uh, areas of water-based, sand-based, sand-dressed. Uh, we chose a sand-dressed pitch um, because of the, the, the longevity, maintenance uh, side of it, and um, suitably equipped ourselves to, to have a, a good English Hockey Association uh, specified right, okay. pace. Um, we also use them for recreation, so five-a-side football. Right, across. okay. Um, also, we, we put tennis courts on them in the summer. Um, so they're widely used by our boys, but don't forget our boys are here for 11 weeks in the summer, uh, 11 weeks during the Michaelmas or yeah. autumn, and in the Lent they're here for 10 weeks. So if you think about it, nearly not for a half a year, uh, they're not used. So the wear and tear is much it's less low. than an inner city artificial pitch perhaps. Um, but we installed 20 new uh, tennis courts as well. So wow, okay. We've got 10 acrylics and 10 artificial clays, which are all managed okay. and maintained here now. Um, they replaced old macadam style tennis courts. And they have to be managed and, uh, you know, daily they're brushed and... So there's still uh, a maintenance regime? Oh, always, yeah, they, including the, the, the hockey surfaces. You know, they're brushed daily, uh, except for Sundays. Um, usually before any event, they have a, a brush um, and they're dressed when we need to dress them. Um, but generally, the only damage I've ever had is by boys dragging goals around. Oh, right, okay. uh, Other than that, they never seem to get damaged in, under play conditions. Sure. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're still managed and they have to be. So managed by your own staff? You don't bring in specialist contractors to look after those? or No, no, it's managed by our own staff. Um, they get a bit of training on uh, uh, how, how to maintain the surfaces. If we get a particular problem or we want to do a, maybe a bulk sand dressing, we may bring in a specialist company. If it's something that's going to take a bit of time, um, then I'm not averse to bringing in consultants and then getting and a contractor that. to do it. And I, I assume you obviously brought specialist contractors in to install the, the surfaces. Did you use one contractor for everything or was it...? Uh, yeah, we, we've, uh, well, we've used one contractor on the artificial hockey surface, yeah. um, which was McCardle. Right, okay. uh, they tendered and won the contract with us against uh, three other companies, I think Spade Oak, Blake Down and... Uh, I don't recall the other one, but Sutton, I think. Right, OK. Um, and it was a very competitive market. Uh, we did all the uh, research uh, references. All of the companies got great references. They've all done fantastic jobs elsewhere. Uh, but this time, Ricardo got the contract and did a very, very good job indeed. So, John, since you, uh, you were involved at Gloucester, the game's moved on a little bit in so many ways. Um, how do you keep yourself up to date with the, the latest trends and changes in the technology and the kit out there? Yeah, I think it's all through the IOG and uh, you know the communications between uh, groundsmen, um, 
we have, uh, you know, we, we do keep in contact, we do speak to each other, especially if one of us is buying a machine we haven't bought before. We might check out uh, another public school, usually I, I've, got, I've got good acquaintances elsewhere, and uh, I might ask them the question. But the IOG is, is where all of the new knowledge, technology, training, things such as deso pitches, if you want to know more about those, it's all there if you need to know it. If, if I needed to know more about uh, football surface, uh, there's expertise available through the IOG. Um, same with any other surface, really, if it's fine turf or golf. I think I've locally I've got Wentworth, and uh, you know, groundsmen are always good to help each other. And I think that's, uh, that's where we uh, keep ourselves up to date. And certainly, as soon as something new is about, there's a buzz in the industry. What is it? How does it work? Will it work? Um, so, yeah, the, the Institute and the industry keeps everybody aware of uh, what's going on. And We're certainly hearing that from your, your peers, if you like, the, the other guys we've spoken to, particularly at the elite level. They're all talking to one another, and I think if, if there's a piece of advice that keeps cropping up, and I'll, I'll ask you for yours in a moment, um, it will be talk to the guys around you, at whatever level of groundsmanship you are yeah, in greenkeeping. Uh, I agree. I think nobody's shy to ask a question. We're not all that good or aloof to uh, just ask a question. You know, I learned so much by going down to see Neil at uh, Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, I'll learn so much by maybe talking to Keith at, at um, Twickenham. It, you, it depends where you go. It, uh, if I go to Chargers and talk to David Roberts, he's an ex-premiership groundsman. You know, there, there are, the expertise in the industry is all there, Jason Booth, all these people have got the knowledge and expertise and it's passed on and shared and spread so we all add to it and hopefully I add to it when they ask me something. Um, so yeah, it, that's how it works I think. We've, you know, it comes across to me that it's obviously a great pleasure for you to have, have worked here for the last 21 years and that's, you know, sadly for many people I think coming towards its end now, you're retiring at the end of the year. Um, your passion for cricket, I think you're going to go off and see the Ashes next year, so brilliant on that. If you have created a legacy here, or what, how you would like to be remembered as, as your, your tenure here, what would you like to have left behind you? I would like to think that the landscape strategy that we started uh, in 2008 will have a marked effect on the future. Um, the, the way, and taking me away from groundsmanship in a way, because it's all about, I, I've got a ground here, not far away, that on one side I'm looking for wildflowers and weeds, and on the other side I don't want to see a weed, <laughs> and it's by the side of the track, and I'm going, oh great, oh great. <laughs> and if I go, oh that's bad, that's bad, that's, that's a bad sign. But the, the, the legacy that I would like to think is, um, I brought the cricket on here, that, that was the, my, my sort of uh, remit when I arrived here was, improve the cricket. And, we did, and I think that that came about by the school supporting me on making some changes, getting some staff trained, which needed training, bringing a lot of things together, the equipment. Um, I had a, a, a great support early on to get the right mowers in place, scarifiers. Uh, there, there was you know, very little scarifiers uh, available here in the past. So um, there were things missing in, the, in a good groundsman's shed. Sure. And, Hopefully, I got them in there and then worked a way of getting them to, to produce the good pitches, uh, introducing them the right topsoils that I brought with me from Charlton College. And I've used the same topsoils all the way through. So, the award winning soil uh, that 
produce those services that David Lawrence and Courtney Walsh and Mike Proctor were knocking <laughs> people's heads off with, came here with me. And I, I didn't change that. And the success carried through. So hopefully the legacy will be whatever John Taylor did between 1994 and 2015, I guess. And uh, hopefully it's all a positive thing. And certainly I've had great feedback from various people in this, uh, in this college. So you've left it in good shape for the successor. That recruitment process is well underway. I'm not sure when the announcement will be made, but quite possibly before this actually goes to air. So, you know, I think whoever comes along has got you know something to live up to there, John. That's for sure. Um, talking of living up to things, we've, we've spoken a little bit about influences, but if you had to pick out one individual that's been the biggest, or it doesn't have to be an individual, it could be an organisation that's had the biggest influence on your profession, what would it be? Um, I'm going back a long way. Um, when I finished my course at Hartbury and I was qualified with the NDT and the National Diploma of Culture and things like that, these were all IOG qualifications and NPC. And, uh, th these, these were all part of the growing process of being a Grangsman. But I had two winters at Aberystwyth University at the Soil Science Unit and there were two people there called Dr Adams and Dr Stewart. I never knew their first names. <laughs> And they taught us, those that went there, and those, there will be people that watch this will, will have attended, because I know they're still around. Um, and we learned so much about how a pitch is put together, how a, the binding works, how aeration and root structures hold everything together. A cricket pitch is nothing without its root structure. It can look as pretty as a picture, but if underneath it's crumbling, it's a waste of time. It's everything, all, all the parts of the jigsaw, that make a cricket pitch hold together for five days for a test match. Well, that doesn't happen very often no. now. Uh, <laughs> That's but, another subject. But. <laughs> but yeah, to get a pitch to hold together, and we, we have a 10 wicket square here, but we play 60 matches on it. You know, so there's a lot of cricket played. So it's, a, it's, it's important that you know, all the um, stuff that I learnt early on through Dr. Adams and Dr. Stewart, uh, made and shaped me in fact they have the um, I don't know if you heard the t term of making mottis but it's a way of getting top dressing rolling it into a ball drying it out in an oven and breaking it with a set of scales pretty basic stuff but you learnt about how strong soils were right and now it's more technical and you've got machinery that you can you know tools that, that you can yeah. do it but just those little things made me realize what was a solid surface yeah. and what possibly wasn't looked pretty but didn't play that well. And that stayed with you through the entire that career? That stayed with me and I've always been a big fan of root structures to hold everything together. Hockey, football, rugby, cricket, golf course, uh, golf greens. I did a lot of work on uh, bowling greens when I was younger. Uh, the England Bowls Association used right. to play there and it was all about pace, the pace of the bowl and they used to time the bowl to the end of the green and it was all about finding that so that they could actually deliver a wood that fell out of their hand and glided to the end, a full length wood they called it. Right. And uh, you know, they, this was the important parts that shaped what I did later on, I think, in life. And they've stayed with you yes. all that way through. You may or may not be aware that we have one question that we, we end up all of our interviews with, and it's probably the toughest question you'll get because <laughs> And it's that one about, you know, who looks after the grass at home, assuming you've got some, and what do they look after it with? Okay, well, in my home that I live at Eton, 
uh, I have a very large lawn. Um, if my uh, daughters are around, they like to drive the mower that I discovered somewhere, okay. and uh, they will cut it. Uh, sometimes I'll do it on a Sunday morning as well. Um, the house I actually am retiring to has a small, very small front lawn, and at the back is a, a courtyard patio with just a few planters in it. So I, I won't be cutting much grass <laughs> all the time. But yeah, at home, anybody but me, but sometimes me. Okay, and what's the mower? The mower is a, um, I think it's a Rydon Matador, I believe Matador. it is. It's a little okay. red thing, but okay. uh, it's not an industrial Rydon no, mower. No. It's, um, it's a domestic. One of these smaller ones, yes. Okay, John, fascinating interview. Thank you so much for your time and have a great retirement. Thank you, Mike.